This is Chat and Spin Radio. Keep it locked on chatandspinradio.com. Thank you so much, Carol Drinkwater. Absolutely marvelous to to meet you and to have you on my show. Very honored to speak with you today. And um, I'm I'm a I'm a huge fan of your work, and you've done so much from acting, writing, and I have the wonderful Olive um, uh, Farm. I was going to say Olive Ranch, but you you have done a lot, and you're still doing a lot. I was going to ask you, what is like your kind of favorite thing that you do? Uh, well. I don't have a favourite thing. I love acting and I love writing. And I think the fact that I can do both of them, because one is very isolated and the other is very gregarious. And <clears throat> I love the fact that I can mix both of those. And last year, for example, when I was doing um, Carol Drinkwater's Secret Provence for Channel 5, it was an opportunity. It wasn't acting in the sense of a, well, I mean, it was Carol's, and you know, as a character, really. So um, it was very nice to be able to get back out there and be, and once I was back in front of the camera, I, I said to myself, I really love doing this. I'd forgotten how yes. much I loved doing it. You, and it's, it's wonderful, that show. I really enjoyed it. But you have been in some incredible productions from, you know, A Clockwork Orange, the iconic Stanley Kubrick film, to the amazing series, All Creatures Great and Small, and a lifetime of great work. How was it like being in that Stanley Kubrick film? Well, look, it was my first job out of drama school. The day after I left drama school, I was working in my father's theatrical agency to earn a bit of money till I got a job. And the phone rang and it was Stanley Kubrick's assistant saying, hi, is that Carol? You know, would you like to come and screen test for Stanley? And I thought it was one of the other girls at drama school <laughs> sending me up. You know, you, don't, you simply don't expect that. But um, I went along for the screen test and I had to do um, a scene, a Marilyn Monroe scene from Some Like It Hot. And it just seemed, it just seemed too unreal, you know, to have just walked yeah. out of drama school. And so I just laughed my way through the screen test because I just didn't think it was possible. Anyway, I got the job. It was only four lines. And then because they got so far behind on, um, uh, on schedule, they cut one scene. So even before I got there, it was, it was only two lines. So it's, it's hardly. No. <laughs> so I worked with Stanley and, you know, I spent some time with him and heard what everybody thought about him. I mean, it's the only time I've ever worked on a show where everybody said that he could do their job better than they did. And oh, you don't that. often hear technicians say that. Yeah. You know, not one single person seemed to have a bad word to say about him. Mm. Um, so it was it was an honour, and I kind of thought that that's how it would always be, that everybody would be as, as visionary and as exigent as he was. But, of course, that's not the case. But uh, it was a wonderful start. I just thought yeah. it was onwards yeah. and upwards from there. Which was yeah, Incredible. And then being in All Creatures Great and Small, I mean, that was just such a beautiful program. Did you yes, enjoy it? It was. Um, we, were, <coughs> we were very fortunate because um, 
the team really gelled. And I'm not just talking about the four of us principals. There was also Mary Hignett who played Mrs. Hall. And there was the crew um, and all the, the cast that came in, you know, either semi-regular uh, regulars or those who just came in as a guest appearance. And we were very fortunate. It was incredibly well cast, I think. Not yeah. just principals, but I mean, all those small, those smaller roles, the character actors, you know, were incredibly well cast. They were all very professional. Um, mm, people worked yeah. a lot in the clubs and everything. And I just think, and we got on incredibly well. I mean, it's it's a time that I can honestly say that I look back on and I woke every morning looking forward to going to work. Yeah. And it's not always you can say that. <laughs> I yeah. can tell you it's not always you can say that. There have been jobs when I've woken up in the morning with one eye and thought, oh, do I really want to get out of bed? Do I really want to face that person again? Or whatever it happens to be. But that certainly wasn't the case with all creatures. We loved each other. We laughed such a lot. That's you know, weird. we played yeah. jokes on each other. I mean, I can think of all kinds of silly jokes that, you know, and it's just wonderful to look back on a job and think that, and of course, once it became so successful and we knew yeah. that we were, we knew that we were creating something that everybody loved, that also gave an added buoyancy to it because, you know, we felt validated in what we were doing and it made the whole thing even more optimistic and more yeah. Yeah, you know, I know how when you're riding on a wave, everything feels you feel kind of, you know, um, boric. Yeah, absolutely. You feel that mm -hmm. you can't. And, and, and so it was, you know, I mean, if I had my time over again, I probably wouldn't have left it. But I felt a need to get on and do other things and start writing, etc. So, yeah, I felt that I needed that time to do other things. But in fact, looking back, I probably could have done that and done the other things. But there we are, you know. Yeah, it's hard to know. But you have incredible life. You have incredible life now. And you've traveled so much, Carol, as well. Yeah. Yes. And you live in this beautiful part of the world in Provence, in France. Uh, well, actually, we're, we're, we're in Provence in the grander sense of the word, you know, the larger sense yeah. of the world. And we're in the Alpes-Maritimes part, um, and okay. we're overlooking the Bay of Cannes. So it's the Côte d'Azur, the French Riviera. You I can see the Mediterranean from outside the window. You know, so oh, there. it's lovely. I, I love it there. I used to live in Joan-Lipan. Oh, we're very close. Oh, really? I could almost wave. and enhance your life with elements and fragrances candles room sprays perfumes and colognes by tessa williams but thank you you were just you were just saying how close you are to the mediterranean you can see joanne Le Pan. I could almost, if you were there now, I could almost wave at you. And I was just asking, there's a painting right by your head there. Is that the Mediterranean? It is actually, yes. Um, I, I did that a couple of years ago. It's, it's, oh, you uh, painted it? Yeah. Oh, wow. So, yeah. Well done. Oh, thank you so much. But um, yeah, I wanted to ask how you ended up in that beautiful part of the world there of France. Um, well, I've been looking all over the world for what I described as my house by the sea, which I wrote about in the first of my olive farm books, which is 
a series, a quartet of books set on the olive farm and two books traveling all the way around the Mediterranean. And the first one called The Olive Farm is about my falling in love with um, a French producer in Australia. I've been looking all over for what I call my house by the sea. Um, and Michelle, who was the producer of a mini series I've been making out there, took me out for dinner and asked me to marry him on our very first date. We'd only met the night before, um, which I kind of didn't take seriously. But we started seeing each other then when I was back. I was living in London at the time. Um, And then he invited me down to Cannes for the film festival. And while we were down here, I started looking for a house by the sea down here. Not specifically for the two of us, but because at that time I hadn't said yes. But... um, after the first, after after he'd finished working, we came inland uh, because I couldn't afford anything that was down at the sea. They said, not for that money, madam. And mm-hmm. um, we came inland to look for kind of ruins and things like that. And an estate agent brought us to this place, which was very much a ruin and a jungle of land. Ah. Um, and once we cut the land back, we found that we had 68, almost 400 year old olive trees and a vineyard which was dead and gone and we've never really replaced, so we are thinking about doing it again. Um, And then we planted up more olive trees, so now we have over 300 olive trees. And, um, well, we just fell in love with it and and everything, and it it became our kind of folly, you know. It was kind of madness to take it on. It looks beautiful. Yeah, from the programme, it it looks an incredible place. Yes, um, they photographed it looking. I mean, they didn't, they didn't, I was a bit sad that they didn't show all the cracks and, you know, that side Mm. of it as well, because, you know, it is, it is, um, all the flowers and everything are lovely, but the house has got, needs repainting and, you know, all of that kind of thing. So, you know, that's fine. We do a bit when we can and that's it, you know. Yeah. But it sounds an amazing story, how you met Michelle. Um, you were in uh, staying in a hotel in Australia. Can you tell us a bit more about that, Carol? I was staying at a hotel called the Siebel Townhouse in Sydney in Elizabeth Bay, which is um, a very chic and lovely part of, of Sydney. Um, and uh, this hotel, was it was known as the Hotel for the Stars, um, I'd been filming a miniseries which Michelle was the executive producer of in Melbourne, but we'd never met because we were meant to meet before the f- filming started, but he had to cancel. And so after I'd finished all my filming, I went up to the Barrier Reef to do some diving. And then I went to Sydney to meet up with agents and do a bit of publicity for the series and everything with the ABC. Um, and because this hotel was famous for having the entertainment people, they always had signs outside saying the Siebel Townhouse welcomes Tina Turner, the Siebel Townhouse welcomes Elton John. And they also had the Siebel Townhouse welcomes Carol Drinkwater. Oh, brilliant. <laughs> The only time I've been billed with Elton John and Tina Turner. Um, And Michelle saw it. He also was staying at that hotel because it was where people in the industry stayed. Um, And he saw my name outside and he said to reception, is she here at the moment? And they said, yes, she checked back in again yesterday or whatever. And he said, could you ring her room? And he he said, look, this is Michelle. I'm the exec producer. Do you want to come down to the bar and have a drink with me? So I went to have a drink with him and then he said, you want to have dinner tomorrow evening? And um, I actually wasn't going to be free the following evening. I was meant to be having dinner with Googie Withers and her husband, David. Um, when I, so I had to say no, which was a bit of a blow because I thought he was rather attractive. Mm. Yeah. My hotel, you know, the bedside phone flashing red as they used to, mm-hmm. saying um, from Googie. 
sorry, darling, I have to cancel dinner tomorrow. So I rushed back down to reception and left him a note. And we went and had dinner and um, he asked me to marry him. Wow. On the first date. On our first date. Yeah. And we hadn't even got to the first course. <laughs> it was immediate, almost immediate. That's he says now, story. the moment I walked into the bar the night before, he says that he fell in love with me instantly. It wasn't quite so instant for me. I think it took us two dates before I fell in love with him. So, But it was a kind of love at first sight. Yes. Yeah. Wow. And you've been together a long time? Um, uh, it's, our, it's our wedding anniversary on the 10th of April, and I think we've been married... We've been married since 1988, and we met in October 1984. So, yeah. Oh, that's fantastic. Uh, nearly 38. Oh, my God, nearly 38 uh -huh. years. We did wow. split up for a while, and then we got back together again. So, you really? know. Really? Yeah. That's, that's incredible. Yeah. You don't hear of that happening often, but you must really love each other a lot to kind of maintain it. Yeah, and I think we've also, because we split up for a while, I think we both realised um, yeah. what the relationship meant to both of us. Um, and, and I was kind of determined because, you know, the film industry is kind of fickle. Fickle, um, yeah. And I really, I really wanted to make this relationship work. It was important to me to, um, which is another reason why I started to concentrate more on the writing rather than the acting, mm -hmm. because I could be here. And whereas in the beginning of our relationship, I was going off for like three months at a time, four months at a time, yeah. and, and to Australia and places like that. So it wasn't like we could pop home at the weekend and see each other. So yeah. uh, I, I then determined that, um, that uh, if if we wanted to do anything with this place and also with our relationship, then it was a great time for me to start to concentrate on the writing, which I'd wanted to do anyway. Yeah. So the whole thing kind of gelled and I thought, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to give it a go. I'm going to, you know, take the bull by the horns to stop dreaming and see mm -hmm. if I really can make a go of the writing. And it's been. It's amazing. Yeah. And you write so much, you have written so much. And is your husband very supportive of the writing? Because it is something that takes a lot of time on your own, isn't it? He, he, he used to read everything first before anybody else. I mean, in fact, he still does. But um, uh, I, I don't so much now feel the need that he's got to see it first. I was always terrified to give it to anybody before he'd read it. But now I'm, I, you know, I have a very good relationship with my literary agent, Jonathan Lloyd at Curtis Brown, who I think is... You know, he's he's one of a kind. He's a kind of giant yeah. in the industry. So I trust Jonathan. Uh, I mean, it might take him longer to read than it would Michelle because he's got other clients and stuff. <laughs> Michelle's only got one wife. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, um, but, you know, I, I, I feel... I feel that I have a support team around me now, which is, yeah. is very important and that I can trust what they say. So mm -hmm. uh, that counts for a lot. So I'm, I'm less reliant on Michelle in that sense. I mean, obviously, if I'm unsure about something, then it's to him. I go first. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And how did you go about doing your first book, Carol? I just sat down and wrote it. I was doing, uh, I was filming, um, uh, a Christmas special of All Creatures Great and Small, and I just took the book up to Yorkshire with me. I'd met Michelle uh, by then, and I said to him, look, I'm going to see if I can have a, have a go at it. And in fact, he, with uh, the ABC in Australia, produced that as a, as a children's miniseries 
I, oh, wow. I starred in it. Yeah. Um, I kind of wrote it for myself as well. And then uh, it was bought by Disney in the States and they put it into the, they recut it to make it uh, film length as well. And yeah. put it into the Chicago Film Festival for children's films and it won the Gold Award. So it wow, kind of... that was the, the first book, one. Book, yeah, the book yeah. sold, a, I mean, it... In England, I think it sold something like 140,000 copies, which doesn't sound like a lot now, but this is well, pre-JK Rowling, remember. So yeah. children's, the children's market was very much second rate, both in television and the literary um, area. People kind of thought, oh, it's children's, you know, it's, it's not of the same level or importance, yeah. which, of course, we all know is nonsense, absolute nonsense. Mm. But so, so you wouldn't expect a child. Yeah, yeah. Ah, and Carol, when you started writing, were you um, doing it kind of, uh, you know, just um, some of the days or was it like a, a, every day you're going to do so many words or uh, you finish the set? It's hard for me to remember now. As I was writing The Haunted School, that was the book, the first one, um, while I was filming All Creatures in Yorkshire, I suppose I did it on my days off. I can't really remember. I do remember that I, for the first time, um, rented myself a little cottage that was away from all the rest of the cast. I remember very clearly I, working on very old... Um, I think I was working on a typewriter. Oh, wow, yeah. I was yeah. working on a typewriter. So... I took my typewriter on location and um, not, uh, I mean, up on location into the, to the bungalow where I was staying um, and worked away. I beavered away when I wasn't filming. Yeah. So I must have done every day off. I had something like that back then. Yeah. I, I mean, I obviously didn't have the thing of getting up and starting and doing a certain amount of words every day. I just wanted to get my first story written. Yeah. So I, think I just went at it and did it, you know. Yeah. Excellent. And now how would you kind of describe your life? Like how much of the time are you writing and how much of the time are you looking after the house or traveling? Is it or it depends if you have a book kind of due or it's 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 it's, it differs according to what's going on in my life. I mean, for example, I was meant to be starting the second series of Secret Provence in three weeks' time, oh. um, and I've been doing an awful lot of research for that over the winter. We're actually not now going to do it because I haven't been well, and I just said, I, look, I can't... Too much. Can't yeah. ...what was needed. So, mm. in fact, we cancelled it, and I feel quite sad about it now because I probably would have been up to it but anyway so um so my winter was very much concentrating on getting lots of stories and lots of places down here unusual places that i could take the camera and the team and everything um so i've been doing a lot of that i mean i'll use that material it'll get used exactly. for yeah. yeah. or it'll go into magazines or something you know exactly. now that it's wasted um so that's what i've been doing with my winter now that i'm not going to be filming over the summer i'm starting the book that I should have started last autumn and that Jonathan's been saying he sends me emails that says book <laughs> that's all it says J kiss book in big letters so yeah. I think it's time for me to take the hint and recognize that uh, he's waiting yeah. for material so that's now what I'm going to concentrate on for a bit yeah well you're fantastically productive and so busy and it seems that you do so much what's your uh, tip for people who 
would like to be writing or would like to write a book? What would you say to somebody starting off like that? No one else is going to write it for you. <laughs> yeah. No one else is going to sit down in that seat every single day and write it for you. The words are not going to write themselves. You have yeah. to sit down. You have to turn up. You know, you have to turn up at your desk. And I could say that to myself right now, too. I mean, I'm not, you know, I, I need to each day now that I need to be getting on with, I say to myself, time to time to get back to the desk. You know, I mean, there's no no point in procrastinating. You have to sit down. And unless you sit down and start to face it, it isn't going to happen. Yeah. No one else is going to do it. Yeah, you've got to you've got to turn up. Uh, That's very good, good advice. And Carol, you've you've travelled to so many uh, different places. As you say, you worked in Australia, and um, you you live in a beautiful part of France. Where would you say is your favourite um, places on earth? Well, obviously, I love here for obvious reasons. Um, my roots are Irish. Uh, I love Ireland. And should all this fall apart for some reason that I can't, please God, think of now, um, it would be, and if I had to leave France, you know, for some reason, I would return to Ireland. I mean, that's pretty definite. I find myself place by the sea down there somewhere yeah I miss Ireland a lot and over all this COVID period and uh, until now I haven't been back for almost three years and I've got family having yeah. weddings and things this year so I'm hoping to get back for some of those occasions yeah. see people yeah. um so I do miss Ireland greatly I love the, the 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 wild Atlantic way though I'm from the Midlands right in the middle of the country so not by the all sea right. yeah um but, but farmland you know my my family were farmers so you know i miss all that all you know the hands-on all that stuff um and it skipped my mother she went to london and that's how she met my father and everything but she was astounded when i said you know i'm going to i get my wellies out and get into the garden she said you're right back you know a generation <laughs> what i what i ran away from you've gone right back to so um it's very much in my roots and and in my uh, my blood yeah. so i love all that um but, I mean, I love the Mediterranean. I, I think of myself as Irish Mediterranean. That's how yeah, I like to label yeah. myself, yeah. <laughs> the yeah. Irish Mediterranean, because I absolutely love the Mediterranean. I love I love the southern Mediterranean. I love the east and the west, and they're, you know, the two basins, the different different. I love the islands. I'm, Sicily is one of my favorite places on Earth. Oh, you know, I love Cyprus. I, I, they're all each place around the Mediterranean has. Uh, I love Algeria, for example. You know, which is a place where yeah. most people wouldn't go. Uh, the people are warm and they're very friendly, and uh, you know, it helps to speak French, obviously, because mm. I don't speak Arabic or, or Berber. Yeah. So you yeah. know, it's good that I can speak French. Um, uh, but the but once you get there, the people are so warm, friendly, and that it's very beautiful. And they're amazing Roman ruins, and there's like oh, two wow. other people there. The yeah. Roman ruins are stupendous, and there's not a soul there. Wow. Not a yeah. soul there. So you know, I mean, you, I love I love tracing the kind of Roman footprints across across um, the North African part of the Mediterranean. That's that's an amazing thing to do. I like yeah. Morocco for different reasons. Marrakesh. Yeah. Because, have you been you know, to Marrakesh much? Yeah. Uh, not much. I've been yeah. a couple of times. I think. Oh wow! Yeah, yeah. Um, so, I love that. It's so buzzy, you know, and it's mm -hmm. so. 
it's so um well it's very cosmopolitan as well you know and i i love all that and i and the people again and i love all the, the kind of shopping and not that i do yeah, a lot of it but, you know, i mean yeah. go to all that yeah going to the soups i love all that yeah. I, i'm a great fan of beirut right yes beautiful great, city. really yeah. beautiful i loved aleppo Aleppo, I thought, I had some of the best food I've ever eaten in Aleppo, and I, I found it a very beautiful, welcoming city. I mean, I dread to think what's left of it now. I suppose it's like yeah. Mariupol. Yeah. Um, but it, that was a great city. I mean, uh, Palermo was... Oh, uh, yes. Um, yes. Do I mean Palermo or do I mean pa 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 Palmyra? Palmyra. In, in the desert in, in Syria, that's an astounding place. I spent a week there. Wow. Um, I've been all over, you know, I've slept inside volcanoes, I've been up the Amazon on my own, and you know. You? Wow, that is inspiration. Yeah. And yeah. how about nearer to you, nearer to your home? Do you go mm. swimming near there in the sea? Well, we have a big pool, so mostly I just swim here because it's time, you know, far less time consuming. But um, there are little beaches that we go down to sometimes. I mean, sometimes we go to the beach um, for lunch. Yeah. And then if it's, you know, I might have a swim when I'm there. Sometimes we go to Italy for lunch because it's oh. a 40 minute drive. So we often shop in Ventimiglia at the Ventimiglia, at the yeah. And then we go, there. I love it, yes. And then we go and have lunch somewhere along the coast there. Right. Anywhere between there and San Remo, you know. So, uh, I mean, and, and I, I, I still have a, a child. I, I went with my parents on, uh, in the car and on, uh, you know, coaches from England uh, in, down into Italy. And, you know, in those days it was quite a thing to do. We went to Spain in the car and things like that. So I still have that child's absolute glee of crossing a frontier that's not there. You know, I mean, we just drive it, you just drive it over and it just says, welcome to Italy. And that's it. You don't have Amazing. to show yeah. passports or anything because we the European Union. Um, but I still get a huge um, sense of a thrill out of just going over into Italy for lunch. It seems to me something so magical to be able to just cross into another culture, another language. And yeah, have lunch that is wonderful. Again, you know, it's, that's one of the great things about living here. Mm -hmm. um, or yeah. if you lived over in Perpignan somewhere, then you could just shoot into Spain for lunch. Right. Or, you know, some, I mean, sometimes we go over to Spain for a weekend to see friends or little... Where do you go in Spain? we go to. Yeah. Hmm? Where, where do you like to go in Spain? Well, I have friends who have a place in in, um, in uh, Jabia, which is just north of Alicante. So okay. we go there sometimes. There's, uh, we like to go to Sitges because... Um, oh, Michelle it's very characterful. Yeah. I, yeah. I went to Sitges with my parents when I was 13. Wow. Um, and I was writing about it and realised that, of course, Franco, I'm so old, Franco yeah. was still in power then. And um, what I discovered when I was writing about Sitges, when I went back with Michelle, I was trying to find where we stayed. I kept looking at all the hotels, seeing if I could recognise where I stayed with my parents um, and I remember very well the cathedral I went there with my mum and they were baptizing dozens of babies all at the same time and I've since learned of course that um, because it was so poor under Franco that they would all club together and have a joint kind of baptism 
day when all the babies wow. would be baptized at the same time. Yeah. Of course, I went with my mum when I was 13 and we didn't understand what was going on. I mean, I remember crossing the road from our hotel to the beach in my bathing costume, my bikini. I was 13, you know, <laughs> um, and a policeman getting absolutely mad at me. And I didn't, you know, you didn't kind of understand that. So, yeah. uh, you know, going back, I love Sitges. It, um, what I've since learned is that it, it was one of the most revolutionary places against Franco. And of course, right. it's since become, uh, you know, a city that is opened up to gays and everything. It is a very, yeah. very broad very friendly. Yeah. Very friendly, extraordinary yeah. place. I love going there. Um, there's, and there's several other little hotels along the coast that we stop at sometimes. I can't remember the names of them right now. I'd have to look it up. Yeah. But um, I love all that, that northern Costa Brava, I think it is, isn't it? Costa Brava. Beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Have you ever been to Cadiz, where Salvador Dali lived? Yes, I love it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And there's, there's a little bay there. I'm just trying to remember the name. It's called the White Hotel. Same Empurias, where the wonderful Empurias Brava. Yeah, near Girona. Exactly that. Yeah, exactly that. Yeah. There's yeah. a hotel that used to be a very simple. Um, local dialect speaking hotel and now it's been bought by a, um i don't know who and they've done it up and it's a spa and it's terribly posh now ah, yeah. and, and i like it much less than i used to like it i liked it when it was you know just hmm. this little local place where they all spoke catalan and, um, yeah. and food was all very very local and everything but it's a beautiful little bay and it's right at the emporia's um Beautiful. So it's, yeah. uh, that's very beautiful, yes. Yeah. And that's not too far from Cadiz. Ah, okay. South of. And, Cal, you must have stayed at some um, pretty amazing hotels throughout your times. Is there anywhere that really sticks out as memorable, apart from Australia as well? Um, <clears throat> well, you know, I, I'm one of those people who actually prefer, I mean, I've stayed in lots of very posh hotels, and particularly when I've been when it's been paid for by film yeah, companies. Sure. <clears throat> but I actually like the very little places myself. I, I, yeah. I get a great thrill out of finding a three or maybe a four-star hotel um, that's not too expensive and is an unusual place. I mean, there used yeah. to be a wonderful hotel in Sitges. Again, it's been bought by a consortium, and I don't know what and they're knocking it about now. It was called the Romantico. Do you know it? Oh. I've heard of it, yeah. Oh, wow. It was wonderful. Yeah. It was a two or three star hotel. Um, when I first went there, I just fell absolutely in love with it. The staff were amazing and had these crazy rooms. Um, and people like yeah. Dali would stay there, you know. I mean, it, yeah. was, it was just amazing. And then the last time we went, I said, there's something different about it. And they said, oh, we've been, we've been bought by a, a company and they're going to be knocking it apart. And the last time we went, it wasn't even open. They were doing renovations. So God knows what's happening. Oh, yeah. So that was a big pity. That was one of my little, you know, one of our I, little schools. Yeah. And we always stayed there. And, so just, and it was like about... 60 euros a night or something very good you know, yeah I love it. and you could walk from there into the old town and you yeah. know to the beach and everything yeah. so <clears throat> i loved that um there's another little place which i right now can't remember never mind move on from that because i can't remember the name of it um, uh, oh no sorry carry on go i was on. gonna ask uh, if uh in america if you've any favorite places there that you found on your travels that you enjoyed 
Well, you know, some of those wonderful Beverly Hill hotels. I mean, I used to love yeah. staying in some of those, the Wiltshire and things like that, because it was just, it was just, it was Hollywood. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely Hollywood. Over the top. Getting into yeah. the lift at the Wiltshire and um, I got into the lift, no one was in, and then in stepped Anthony Quinn and I was kind of like, wow. <laughs> you know, that that used to kind of knock the socks off me. I used to really love that, you know, and you'd have to sit there being like, by the pool or something It'd be really cool when someone very famous came by so yeah. i used to love all about those hotels in in um, hollywood yeah um, in when we stay in new york we used to stay at um oh, so famous literary hotel can't think of his name now terribly yeah. famous literary hotel algonquin the algonquin, algonquin. oh beautiful yes yeah, yeah. Right. yeah dorothy yeah. parker yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, all of that. Yeah. And that, of course, comes with all its history and its, you know. And yeah. So I used to love staying there. It's a while since I've been to New York. The last time I stayed, I stayed in a um, place that had been done up by Philip Stark. It was so dark. Uh, <laughs> you yeah. had to kind of white stick to get from. It really was. I mean, I don't like what it was just, it was not so comfortable i didn't like mm. all that so i would next time go back to the algonquin or something next time yeah yeah no it's a beautiful hotel and how about with the whole lockdowns and the covid how has it affected you carol and your life and your traveling working how has it been well you know we were very fortunate because we've got this land here we do, we got down here the day a lockdown started in 2020 for us on on st patrick's day paddy's day on ah, march the 17th so yeah. i think a week before britain um and we arrived here on the 16th because michelle had uh, heard that it, there was going to be a lockdown so he, we were just sitting at our place up north and um he said get packed we're going and we drove until about one in the morning to get back. So we were home before the lockdown started. And so we stayed here and it was just perfect. I mean, it was a beautiful spring. Mm -hmm. um, and we were here, I don't think we could leave here until June or July or something. Then we went to a, the, only, the only festival in two years that actually continue, continued to operate was a small festival that Michel is, um, he's the international director of, and it's on an island called Castellorizzo. Do you know it? I've heard of it, yes. Castellorizzo, yeah. About Castellorizzo. So anyway, we went, that was our only place, the only trip that we made that 2020 and then we came back and then there was the second lockdown in the same year so yeah. we came back here we spent a little bit we could go up to paris then because you if you had work reasons you could so yeah. we were able but, so, but we traveled by car to make sure that we weren't with anybody else um but Castellorizzo, it's an it's a my it's about a kilometer from turkey from cash um so it's it's almost the furthest point of europe yeah and it's a teeny little island the only way it was at one plane in in the mornings i think five days a week about seven o'clock in the morning it flies in from rodos from Rhodes. Right. Uh, so you have to fly to Rhodes to either get the once once three times a week ferry or once every three or four days flight into Castellorizzo. So it's not the easiest place to get to. Basically, yeah, basically from, from Northern Europe, it basically takes a couple of days because you have to get to Rhodes, you stay overnight, then you either get the seven o'clock in the morning ferry or the eight o'clock in the morning plane. And then you're, yeah. you're there in three hours, three hours by ferry and out by plane. Yeah. So it's a journey to get there, which also means that lots when of people- When you're there, it's better, yeah. 
Um, we we go we go there for Michelle's festival, which is the last week of August every year, and we stay a few days in advance and a few days afterwards, so we make it a kind of fortnight trip. In fact, we've been talking about it today, which dates we'll go. So that's a very special place, that island, and if you want to be there for the Documentary Film Festival, it's the last week of August, come along and say hello. And okay. it's all out of doors, all the films are out of doors in the evenings, and it's yeah. kind of you know, and you've got all, it's just, it's one port that's basically the only town on the island. There's a couple of other little villages, but that's it. Yeah. So it's about swimming, reading, eating wonderful fresh fish, fresh vegetables, most of which comes over from Turkey. Yeah. It, the boats go to, and I mean, they've, they've had a dead, you know, a, a, a deadlock between them, which has now been lifted, but for a while, it was getting difficult because they, but between the Turkish and the local Greeks, it's very easy and they're all great friends and they all go to each other's places to, you know, restaurants to eat and everything. Yeah. And it's an absolutely magical little island. It's yeah. a, in winter, there's about 200 inhabitants. In summer, it can be 2,000. Yeah. But um, still, it's, it, yeah, it's not too many. It sounds, sounds beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. How about Cannes Film Festival, Carol? Do you, do you avoid Cannes or do you go to it or? I know we were going to it this year. Um, yeah. Sometimes when I've been writing, I haven't managed to get down there at all, but this year we will go. Um, I think we've both got a couple of projects we want to pitch. So um, we'll be doing a bit of that and we'll yeah. be watching films as well. We'll go and watch some films. Yeah. Um, so yes, I like that. And then we might go to the Majestic and have a glass of champagne or something or the, you know, or the, um, you know, one of the other big hotels down there, the Martinez or something, which is where... Martinez, yeah. That's we go for aperitifs in the evening. I mean, you yeah. know, the, there's a kind of routine to the Cannes Film Festival. People go there for for cocktails or they go there for that, or they have lunch on the beach at the... At the um, the Carlton, you know. Yeah. Um, so there are different places where different things are happening, pockets of things are happening. So we will definitely participate in it, as I'm not going to be filming. I thought I would be filming, so I wasn't going to be able to be. But um, now that I'm not filming, I will definitely be participating this year. Mm. Yeah. And have you noticed there's been much of a change, like just around, like since the Brexit and everything, around like in your local shops or just with the amount of people coming over to... Um, well, you, it's unusual to hear English accents now. Yeah. I mean, uh, and of course the Americans haven't been coming because of COVID and because Americans, you know, now the war will keep them away. I mean, you know, they always worry about, there's always something that they worry about. Can I go or can, you know, is it safe to travel? So I'm sure the war will keep a lot of Americans away from the festival this year, as COVID did. Right. Well, I mean, you know, basically everything has been closed for two years, hasn't it? You know, with mm -hmm. all, all masked up and everything, which is yeah. the same thing for a holiday. Um, but the Brits, well, lots of British people I know that have second homes somewhere down here are selling or have sold because... Really, the timing, yeah. Well, they can only have... Yeah. So many days, every 90 days. I can't... Re I don't remember. Fortunately, it's not my problem, but... Um, yeah, it's tragic. It's a limited thing, and it's not even that you could have six months altogether. It's all yeah. divided up. So a lot of people I know uh, have sold their places. Um, I'm lucky yeah. to sell it at this time, I might say. But yeah. so it's Europeans that are buying the places that mm -hmm. the that the Brits had really. Yeah, yeah. Or the Brits have decided to take um, 
some kind of local residency situation. Uh, I don't okay. Works, yeah. So that they can be over here. But, but then I think it, it impacts on their tax. I, I don't know how it works. Uh, okay. So, yeah. Um, and with your wonderful olives and the olives that you grow, do you have to travel much to do with that? Or is everything kind of done on site? No, we go. <clears throat> it's very unusual in France to have a private mill. Uh, the Italians do that much more in the bigger, older estates. Yes. But here in the south of France, it's generally what they call, you know, the communal mills, where all the local villagers will go. So we go to a. a there are two or three mills within half hour drive from us. Twenty yeah. minutes. So I go to one of those. We gather every three days so that the, we haven't kept the olives too long. So if you keep the olives too long, once they've been picked, before they're pressed, they start oxidizing, which puts the um, acid level higher and you lose your extra virgin status. I mean, I have an organic status and extra virgin status, and we did have... Um, uh, the special um yeah i read a bit about this in one of your books and yeah, i didn't yeah, want to use the kind of the um pesticide things either on them no we're organic we've been organic now for oh i'd say 10 years Very organic there isn't yeah. not, a, not anything goes on the land not even for the weeds nothing nothing goes yeah. on the land not even on the parking spaces nothing at all yeah, completely organic. I'm very strict about it. Very good. I'm neurotic about it. And do you are you do you love eating olives? I must say they're one of my favorite foods. Do you? I do. Always yes, I do. got them. And when we cook, we do everything with olive oil. You know, I mean, sometimes we even have tomatoes and olive oil for breakfast, which is particularly oh. very very good anti-cancer food. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's a very it's a Middle East. I picked that up in in Turkey and and um, in uh, Lebanon. You know, they will have for breakfast. To, you know those Lebanese cucumbers, the small ones? Yes. And I bought yeah. one today and had some for lunch. Um, Lebanese cucumbers, which are little ones and taste slightly different. They're not like these big fellows that the Europeans have. Um, and they have Lebanese cucumber, <clears throat> toma fresh tomatoes, olive oil, and a little bit of local cheese, goat's cheese, and that's breakfast. Right, right. Yeah. Um, and I got into the habit of that, and I love that as breakfast. In fact, I had that for lunch today. Oh, okay. Have that for lunch today. Yeah. yeah, fantastic. Well, Carol, thank you so much. It's really yeah. marvelous to speak to you. And uh, who knows? Be wonderful to meet you if you ever come to Scotland. Please <laughs> let me know. Or if you're um, down here for one of the festivals, let me know. Yes, thank you. I I would I would love to to meet you in person. But it's been great. But you're a real inspiration, and it's uh yeah, it's lovely to see that you do so much and with such a passion. So, um yeah, hopefully we'll we'll chat again. And uh, thank you. Really enjoyed speaking to you. Okay, thanks. Yes. Take Bye care, Carol. Thank you. Bye. 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 Bye.